Hello, welcome to Winter Dogs Bagpipe and History Podcast, the weekly show where I explore the likely repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers using historic music collections, written for bagpipes or not, uh, and played on illin pipes, highland pipes, and whistles. Let's hear some tunes. Well, for weeks I have been kind of talking about it on the podcast, uh, but the time is finally here. Uh, Nicholas Brown's album, Good Enough Music for Them Who Love It, is released. It's out, and uh, yeah, Good Enough Music for Them Who Love It. It's out, and he and I had a chat about this uh, a week ago, and so I'm going to... That's going to be what our episode is today, is a conversation between Nicholas Brown and myself. Um... Now that the album is out, uh, Nicholas was kind enough to send me a couple tracks, so we're going to have a couple of them on the podcast as a sample. Uh, when I first looked at the list of tunes, I got very excited because he had uh, The Battle from Oscar and Malvina as a descriptive piece, and that was a completely new set of music to me. Like I hadn't seen that before. And so I got quite excited, and it was also right around the time I was getting a little obsessed with descriptive pieces, so um, so that's what we're going to listen to first. Um, yeah, I had a, some really nice conversations with uh, Nicholas kind of leading up to our, our Zoom call, which is what you're going to be listening to. Um, but all the tunes on this album come from O'Farrell and James Aird's collection, and O'Farrell and Aird's uh, have both been featuring pretty heavily on the podcast here, so really... Other than the fact that there's no Highland Pipes or Border Pipes on this album, there couldn't be a more perfectly engineered set of tunes for people that uh, enjoy this podcast. So I encourage you to go check it out. I'll have a link in the description to the Bandcamp um, link where you can pick up Nicholas's album. Uh, and it's it's just a lovely it's a lovely listen. I've listened to it. I think I've listened to it about three times all the way through uh, at this point now. Um, but yeah, so it's a it's a good it's a good listen. Uh, some just some kind of comments about our discussion. Uh, so like I said, I recorded this last week. I was pretty pumped. I was on a I was on a high note uh, when we recorded this interview. It was right after the Southern California uh, Inland Pipers Club had their kind of pipe and chat with Joey Abarta, and Joey Abarta called out the podcast, which just, yeah, made my heart melt a little bit, uh, and Barry O'Neill said he loved it too, or liked what I was doing, it's just, uh, it was sort of too much for me to handle uh, at the time, uh, it reminds me the second uh, live stream I did on Facebook, I was, I had my, my phone had filled up with storage, and I hadn't quite finished recording my tune of the day so i was like well i'll just do a live stream and kind of tinker around with it because that doesn't require storage space on my phone and black o'connell showed up and started watching the live streams like nope can't do this and i kind of quit in a terror pretty shortly after um so yeah it's it's sweet and intimidating uh to know that there's some uh mighty fine people listening to the show of course everyone that listens to the show is mighty fine but uh it's almost as much as I crave uh, 
contact from people about uh, historic piping tunes, finding out that some of your bagpiping heroes are listening is uh, it was, it was, it was really sweet and kind of a lot for me to handle. So anyway, if I seem a little drunk or super excited uh, while talking with Nicholas, it's not only because we're having a, a fun, stimulating conversation about historic tunes, but uh, that was sort of the context for it. Uh, another thing to take note of when you're listening to this track, uh, the battle from Oscar and Malvina, um, Nicholas does a cool thing with vibrato. He's really reserved and he doesn't do it often, but just notice how he plays it when he holds a couple of tunes. You'll hear... Uh, uh, a way that he plays vibrato that's, I think, pretty unique and interesting. Uh, might just be that I don't have a ton of experience listening to nearly as much Ellen piping as I should, but that struck me as, as unique and first time I really noticed it. Uh, I only pointed out because I'm going to talk with Nicholas about it, and you might be thinking, what is he talking about? So I'll give you a little bit of a heads up now. Uh, after, so we're going to listen to Battle from Oscar and Malvina, then I'll play the conversation between uh, Nicholas and myself. And then uh, after the conversation with Nicholas and I, I'll come back with a, a little bit of a track from the overture from Oscar and Malvina. Uh, you'll remember a couple weeks ago I played the overture as a descriptive piece, and uh, so it's on that descriptive piece uh, episode, if you want to go back and listen to my take of it. Uh, Nicholas has some different approaches than I do. I think they're both pretty darn good. Um, his might be a little bit more valid than mine. He's definitely playing all the notes that are actually written. <laughs> kind of listening back to my version of it, like, yeah, I, I definitely uh, took some interpretive license. Um, anyway, some lovely stuff. Uh, hoping to have a conversation uh, or an episode a couple weeks from now that'll be a actual discussion of the Ocean poems and Oscar and Malvina, because at this point I keep on talking about these things as if everyone knows about it. So if that isn't the case, uh, fear not, we will chat about Ocean and Oscar and Malvina in a little bit greater detail uh, within the next month or so. So anyway, cheers. Thanks for checking in and hope you enjoy this conversation with Nicholas Brown. Let us go now to The Battle from Oscar and Malvina, a descriptive piece from Nicholas Brown's new album that you can get right now on Bandcamp. Good enough music for them who love it.
Well, um, yeah, thanks for doing this. This is really awesome. I'm really happy to be on this. And uh, I, yeah, I think it's really cool that you're doing these podcasts. I, I haven't been listening a ton, um, but every, you know, every time I do, it sounds really cool. And it, like I said, through Messenger, it sounds like we have similar tastes in yeah. tunes. <laughs> yeah, as soon as you posted uh, the link to your album, I, my my mouth dropped. Like, I want every, everything on here. I, I want, I like it. I love it so much. Well, um, next uh, next Friday. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> coming up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess that's my first question is, uh, how did you get so keen on Oscar and Malvina? Um, and just, yeah, I was curious how deep your fascination went, if it was just through O'Farrell's tune book or something else. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I was thinking about your question uh, overnight, and um, I don't remember exactly how I got into it, but um, I think it was kind of like a little bit of uh, kind of from two ways. So, so yeah, I met Pat Sky um, in Denver back in 2005. Uh, I was out there for work when I was still in school, actually. I had like a four-month internship out there. Um, so I met him at this piping thing and he had the, the book with him and I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, um, music from the 1700s, like, this is really interesting. So my background, I, I played French horn and trumpet in high school. Okay. So, you know, I've been classically trained, classically trained, but really just, um, just high school music, like not sure. anything professional. Um, but like the idea that there was just this folk music or I mean, it's not really folk music, but this music, this other music other than, you know, Beethoven and Bach and all these people that we hear about, there was this whole other kind of music happening. That was really eye opening. Um, I'd already, you know, I'd already had my eyes open the whole traditional music thing because I'd already started playing pipes and was already really deep into it, but it was just like this added dimension. So that book was really cool. Yeah. Um, and I started again, you know, I, I basically looked at it like, over and over periodically every time i'll just like open it up flip through it and find a tune that's really cool and i'll try to learn it and then like most of the time i forget them because it's hard to remember tunes when you're not playing them in a session right um so and then so that was that oscar malvina was part of that it was like oh this is really weird like there was this thing called oscar malvina that this guy played pipes for that's really neat and then on the other uh other facet or other side of it is that um so I do a lot of like looking online for old things and I managed somehow randomly came across this playbill. Um, it was for um, the late, I think it was 1897, something like that, 1896. Uh, it was for this play called the Ivy leaf. Um, and it was like a musical play and uh, they had a piper. So there was a professional piper that played with this play and the playbill was from uh, Kitchener, Ontario, or London, Ontario. And, and I grew up in Ontario. I grew up about two hours north of London. Um, but on the, the list of places that the play was playing, like Toronto was mentioned, Detroit was mentioned, um, other, a couple other places in Michigan were mentioned, um, and a couple other places in Ontario as well. And so it was a circuit that this play had done all around basically where I live now. So Detroit right. is where I live now, uh, where I grew up in Ontario. I lived in Toronto for a while. And um, so I was just like, this is really fascinating. And so they, I kind of got into this idea of, or I realized that Illin pipes, Irish bagpipes, there was a profession there. Like there were you know, Patsy Tui, obviously, but there was a bunch of other people making a living playing pipes. And so at the same time as getting interested in the Ivy Leaf, you know, I started 
remembering, oh, Oscar Malvina. Like, this isn't a new thing. This wasn't the 1800s. This was a century before that yeah. when there was people playing bagpipes on stage for a living, making this, like, Irish... Get the quotes in the video there. <laughs> yeah. This, this, yeah. you know, this Irish like um, cultural thing. It's stage Irish. Even back in you know, Farrell, it's stage Irish. He's playing Irish pipes for a Scottish mythology that's based on Irish mythology and is, is actually not real mythology. Yeah, it's all, all it's, fake. Yeah, it's all fake. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like the whole thing is just fascinating. So I kind of got into it from like from that. And so for the last few years, just periodically, I would like try to find out more information about Oscar Malvina. So nothing like nothing too um, uh, like organized or structured, just kind of whenever I felt I, um, I, I saw on Amazon that there, you know, somebody is selling the, the songs from Oscar yeah. Malvina. I think you mentioned you have that yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, neat, not very, not useful for me no. because it's, it's not piping music. It's the songs. So, and it's just words. So there's no music. So yeah. it's kind of like, annoying but yeah so um that was really that was kind of really fascinating i had definitely like played through all of the oscar malvina stuff in o'farrell's um and then yeah um so i i was already fascinated with it it's already really interesting i definitely at one point thought oh this would be really cool if there was a way to like figure out what was played throughout this play actually get like a copy of the script i have yeah. copies of the scripts for I, the ivy leaf oh. not for oscar malvina okay. but for the ivy leaf so i had I had already done this with the Ivy Leaf because I was fascinated about this play that potentially played in my hometown in Ontario. Um, I, I, I have, a, I would not be surprised if there was a Piper that played in Fergus, Ontario, which probably had like a thousand people back then, like if that, like, yeah. but it, you know, there is a theater there and it's been around since the 1800s. So anyway, yeah. So like all these things are really, really fascinating. I thought that'd be really cool. So I, I'd already kind of learned this material or like, played through it or whatever and like thought about it um and then really what happened was i got the set of pipes so so joe kennedy has had the set of pipes uh for like 20 something years um and you know i i played it before so i've i've known about it for over 10 years uh and i had actually told joe like a few years ago uh, I was like, if you ever sell it, like, let me know, because I'd love to buy it. Like, it's definitely something that I'd love to own. And you know, at the time, he was like, oh, you know, like, I think I'll, I'll probably keep it for my kids and grandkids and stuff. But um, his kids don't really have any, any interest in Irish music, which is fine. You know, everyone to each their own and all that. Yeah. Um, so I think he ended up deciding that uh, would be better for him to sell it because he's not really playing it. Um, and then he can use the money to buy a motorcycle or something. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so yeah, he offered it to me in October last year. I got it in December. Um, and I, I'm jumping ahead cause you had another question about, uh, about yeah, I said that, progress. I, yeah, that's yeah. what I asked is, uh, let's see. Uh, well, that's what I was wondering. I thought you got the pipes kind of early this year and like right. what kind of obligation you feel to having an instrument, uh, right. that is like so old. And then if, this album would have happened if it wasn't for coronavirus. I think. Right. Cool. Oh yeah, yeah, that's all part of it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I feel like um, the album would have happened, but it probably wouldn't have happened this quickly. Let, let's put it that way. So um, it's funny because so I got this. I got this set, and um, I, I mentioned in my uh, introduction to my album that like I've ever since I saw that copy of O'Farrell's, I would I thought that it would be really cool to have uh, an album of historic music 
on historic instruments. So yeah. on instruments of the time. I thought that would be really cool. Um, so much so that I actually have a flute from the 1830s that I told Hammy Hamilton, I was like, I'd love to buy that flute because it'd be cool someday to do an album of historic music on historic instruments. Um, so it's one that he restored. So it, it's a, a Henry Wilde flute. Anyway, um, yeah, so totally nerdy, totally ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I kind of like, that was as far as it went. It was like, it'd be cool to do that. And then, so when Joe gave me the set, I was just like, yeah, so I have to do that because I wanted to do that. I mean, it's an idea I've had. I think that'd be really cool. Um, so I, I just, you know, have to do it. Plus like, I, I don't really, I don't feel that I have any um, sense of obligation towards the instrument other than to play it. Like, I think it's important to play it. Um, I, I think it's great that there are instruments in museums. I think that's wonderful. There absolutely should be. I also feel like instruments should be played, uh, and so I hope that by playing it, people can can hear it. Um, it's actually really funny because it's right at a four forty. So um, I've just been playing it with you know, my 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 wife and my brother in law who live. We all live together here. Uh, I've been playing it with them. So I actually was just playing some tunes with Asher, um, my brother in law today. You know, he's playing button accordion in concertina. And it, it's perfectly in tune, and it's this like two hundred and fifty year old instrument. So. It's fun. I, I think it's great. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't, other than playing it, I don't really have any sense of obligation, but I definitely wanted to do this, this thing. Um, and then the other, so the other cool thing, I'm, I'm starting to ramble. I hope this is okay. That's, I mean, that's <laughs> what I want. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> good. Uh, so yeah. So, um, so Allison, my wife and I uh, did a duo recording yeah. a few years ago. Um, so 2016. And so we had been talking last year and early this year we were just like yeah we should probably think about doing another duo recording um and we had recorded that in a, in a studio and so we were thinking yeah that would be uh fun to do but like it's kind of expensive so maybe we should just look into buying some microphones and you know sound equipment um joey joey did an album with nathan gorley uh, and so that Copley Street. So uh, yeah. Nathan is a really good sound engineer now. He's been doing recordings for other people. Um, so he gave us a lot of advice on equipment. Um, actually, he gave us a lot of advice on recording when we were doing our duo recording, which we then basically said, cool, sounds good. We're going to wait on that and just go to a studio because that sounds like a lot of work. Um, but I, you know, I went back and looked at it all and uh, we picked out uh, you know, some equipment and bought it luckily a week before the pandemic shut everything down in Michigan. Yeah. So like it was literally, I had just got the microphones, all of the, the stuff. And I was like, Oh, they're going to close the state. I'm going to quickly go to guitar center and buy a mic stand and some cables so that yeah. I can do this. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. And then I actually, I started recording in March and hated all of it and didn't do anything for two months. Cause I was like, we're in a, we're in a pandemic. There's this crazy coronavirus stuff happening. I have zero motivation to do anything yeah. at all. So yeah, it was a couple months when I really didn't do anything. Um, but then I, yeah, I finally was like, you know what, if I should just do this. Um, and uh, so I kind of sat down in July and just busted through everything. I had been, I had been playing everything anyway. I'd been playing all the, these tunes and stuff that I wanted, that I was thinking I might record. So it wasn't like I just learned it all and played it all right away. Like I had practiced a bunch, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah you know. Yeah, I really, I struggled with that. I've, I've been into a studio twice. And uh, one time was like a professional studio and I was like oh, yeah. wildly out of practice and, and like, I think 15. Um, and then the second time was not all that long ago and like paid a lot of money 
and then I wasn't particularly happy with my playing, but like yeah. I paid money for it, and then I compared it to like the recordings I did to myself just using one of those Zoom H2 recorders. I was like, that's just as good. Damn it. I'll right. never have right. an album now if you can make it sound as good as a... Like there's something about that studio experience of like, well, this is when it has to happen. So Right, yeah. right. Yeah, when when we did our our do album and um and somewhat the same way with this thing, um, we practiced the heck out of everything. Like we just sat down and and we were playing like every single day for at least I think a couple months before we had booked studio time. And I think you kind of have to do that. The studio was nice because it gives you a deadline. Yeah. Um, what was happening with me in March was that I was like I would I was just recording and there was no deadline. So I wasn't happy with anything. I was just getting more and more frustrated, more and more frustrated. So actually what I did in July is um, around July 4th, I had two days off from work. So I just took two extra days off work and I said, this is it. I'm going to sit down. This is my studio time. I'm going to record over you know, this week when I'm, I'm working one day and then I have the rest of the week off. I'm just going to sit down and record. And if it's, if it's good enough, great. And if it's not, then whatever. Then I try it and whatever. I don't have to release anything. You know, there's no... There's no thing. So at the end of the week, I was kind of, that was it. I was kind of done. Um, that was my deadline. I sent it to some friends to listen to. Um, obviously, you know, Allison and Asher are both great musicians. So they listened to it as well and gave me feedback and uh, basically ended up with just over half of the album. And then I re-recorded some things. <laughs> so yeah, this is always, yeah, you say you're done and you're done and then you always do a little bit more and it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So how many, like, how long did you have your set list, I guess? That was one of the questions I had is, like, it took me until this year, I didn't I didn't realize Aired or Oswald existed until this year, kind of doing the podcast and searching around on oh, yeah. um, National Library of Scotland's kind of various huge collections. Yeah, um, that, that website is amazing. There's a lot of stuff there that didn't used to be available. Um, so, yeah, that's really cool. Um yeah, that's a good question. I, I sorry, I interrupted your question a little bit, but yeah, um, it's a. I don't remember when I first found Airs. I've had them for several years, though. I've had copies of them for a few uh -huh. years, um, and then Oswald was this year. It yeah. was the same thing where it was this year, and there aren't there aren't any tunes out of Oswald. They're they're out of um, Aired or or um, uh, O'Farrell, but. What happened is that in in picking tunes out of Aird's and O'Farrell's, I found them in Oswald's, sure. and so then I would like look into that. Um, there there is a couple tunes that I have. I think I think there's a couple tunes I learned out of there. But his his book his music it's all parlor music. It's not like Aird's Aird's and uh, O'Farrell are at least getting into traditional music. But Oswald is like it's parlor music. It's yeah. like gentleman's music you know there's there's the slow piece and then there's the jig afterwards the right. fast movement afterwards and so i i find it a little bit less useful for repertoire um just because you know i'm i'm interested in jigs and reels that's i'm an irish traditional musician first um so i'm interested in that kind of stuff first and the rest of it like i don't want too many weird things because then <laughs> you no know, now i'm just playing baroque music or something yeah. and it's, it's not quite the same thing yeah it's a little like i always feel uh when i used to do bagpipe um like historic presentations and stuff I, i'd feel guilty every time i played oscar and melvina like this is a little self-indulgent so bear with me i'm just gonna play this kind of weird <laughs> opera thing um, yeah uh, but it's it's it isn't it isn't self-indulgent i mean it was piping music you know like yeah. it was being played on these instruments so i think that's fair i think it's totally fair um 
Yeah. So yeah. So I uh, I've had Aird's for a while. I you know I've definitely done a lot of looking for old collections and and I try to go through them you know when I can. But it's it's tough. I have a day job, so I'm not just yeah. sitting there and you know just sitting and playing music. But um, it's cool because like I have a, a my wife is amazing. She's a great fiddle player. She's been playing since she was very young. I actually learned as an adult, so um, I don't have quite the same background. But um, she's been playing for a really, really long time, and um, but she doesn't read music at all. So we have a great system worked out where I will find something, and I can sight read really well. So I'll find something that looks interesting. I'll sight read it, and if it's good, she'll often learn it, and then I'll learn it from her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it works. But all the stuff on the album did not go through that process. That was all just me picking things and, and kind of learning them that way. Yeah, everything so. you sent me is just you playing. Are there pieces on the album that have her playing or anybody else? No, um, no, it's just me. Solo, solo pipes with one set where, on a whim, I played flute along with myself. So there is one set of jigs where I tr double tracked myself with flute. Um, well, you got the yeah. flute. You had to do it. Like yeah, <laughs> well, it's actually, the the flute I use is actually a modern flute, so it wasn't even. So it's funny. Um, so John Gallagher, um, he. Uh, he made a flute a few years ago that I bought from him, which is great, super awesome, like definitely of a historic style, great flute. Uh, and then, so in the fall, last fall, I sent that Wild, the Henry Wild that I got from Hammy Hamilton, I sent it to him because they needed some work because the barrel had, had cracked, had re-cracked. It has three cracks in it and one of them reopened, uh, or two of them reopened, I think. And then um, I had another flute that John has had he had had for a couple of years. Uh, I'll just say a couple. It was more than that, but anyway, <laughs> and uh, he um, uh, so he fixed them both up, and he turned the Henry Wild, which I was playing as a concert pitch flute. He turned it into an E flat flute by just oh. making a new foot joint for it. He didn't he didn't change the tuning at all, but it was already a high pitched flute. It, it struggled to play the for forty. So I'm actually just playing the modern flute that he made because it was the one that sounded the best. So, <laughs> sadly, it's my one my one not historic instrument. But uh, what are you gonna do? I don't. I mean, the flutes of the of the time when O'Farrell would have been playing, they weren't even these flutes no. anyway. They're, yeah, those German older. flute. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have really, you messed with yeah. those at all? Or not? Not anything that old. No, yeah. no. There. That's. I think it's just too far away from what I want to play as an Irish musician, so, yeah. Yeah, I have, a, I have a friend that has and plays a German flute a little bit, but he, he mm. describes it as just being, like, wimpy compared to Irish flutes. Like, it just doesn't right. have the power right. to collaborate. Yeah, that's yeah, typical, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You, were, you were talking a little bit about, like, you don't want to just be playing uh, Baroque music or Baroque music, like... Do you consider your approach to these tunes historic or? No, not at all. Not at all. No. So um, uh, you did ask one other question that you mentioned or you asked was uh, or wanted to ask was if it's the only set of pipes I have. So I actually currently own three sets of pipes. Um, so I have a, a normal concert pitch set of pipes uh, that most of it was made by Joe Kennedy. Um, the regs were made by Stefan Tim Benson. Uh, and then I have a flat set in B. Um, and that's what Allison and my wife and I recorded the duo album when it was just on this this B set. Um, and so I consider myself a flat pitch piper primarily. Um, I play concert pitch pipes as well, uh, and I do approach them differently. And, and like you know, I can play them; it's fine. But I consider myself a flat pitch piper. That's kind of that's my love. Um, listening to you know Tommy Rack, Mick O'Brien, you know Kitty Lie Over. 
um, uh, the, those recordings of Willie Clancy where he's playing like the crazy 18-inch Maloney set. Um, so things like that. That's what I love. That's where my heart is. Um, so I, I am not applying a historic approach to it, but I do think that the way that I play with flat piping technique and ideas, um, I think that does inform the music. And so my little set, this antique set, even though it's at concert pitch, I think of it as a flat set. Sure. It feels like a flat set. It feels like, you know, a tiny B set or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> the chanter and everything is kind of a, a quirky oh. little thing. Yeah, I, I took a note to ask you to, like, we talked, like, you have this old set of pipes, you mentioned they're 250 years old, but can you speak about them more specifically? Like, who do you think the maker is? Um, and yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So um, they're unstamped. So there's never going to be, uh, you know, 100% proof of who made them. Um, stylistically, they're similar to Kanaw sets um, and similar to Egan sets. So there's a, an Egan maker in uh, London at you know the late 1700s. Um, uh, Jimmy Brian Moran had a set, you know, a couple of years ago that he had on loan from Sam Lawrence, uh, and so that's you know that's a similar type of set. Um, so there's videos out there of that. Uh, Ronan Brown's James Canaw set. Um, so Joe Joe Kennedy is, has been in a position to compare Ronan Brown's set to this antique set, and he is thought that they were very similar like he he had the opinion at one point yeah, i don't he doesn't have this opinion now but at one point he had thought that it could just be a set that james Kahn made before he had a stamp to stamp sets with um which may or may not be true so there's stylistically some ideas that are similar um another maker that i was looking up uh is a guy named hugh robertson yeah um and so my my set there's one regulator there's four keys on it um and the shape of the keys is very unusual. So in um, you can look at a photo, but basically the, the key touch, there's the like a kind of a, a rounded key touch, but then there's these two little nubs right next to the key. And I've never seen any other pipe maker with keys that look like that, except for one photo at some library in Scotland or some museum in Scotland. There's a photo of, of what they said as a Hugh Robertson set that kind of has the shape is almost like little nubs. It's not exactly the same shape, but there's just like two little nubs. And so that's the only hint I have that and the fact that stylistically, you know, they're all, they all kind of have the same general shape um, that it, it maybe is a Hugh Robertson set. Wow. I don't know. At the end of the day though, that one that they called Hugh Robertson, I, I was looking into it a little bit more. It's unstamped as well. So that's also a guess. So who, we have no idea. So I have no idea who made it. Yeah. Um, I will say the channer, so the original channer is not currently playable. Um, and so Joe made a, a copy of Ronan Brown's channer, his Kanaw oh. channer. So that so I do have like a Kanaw based channer. Okay. So that's yeah. So unfortunately, even though most of it is probably 250 years old, the channer is actually not. But you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah, <laughs> it's right. as good as you can get. Yeah. 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 yeah uh, on the the Piper Sunday thing, Pat Sky was talking about his Kanaw channer. And then was pontificating about where you should find the mark on your channel, saying that, yeah, it's just a shamrock. And on his channel, it was super faded and you could barely, uh, barely tell it was there. But Right, right. So, so where was Kanab making? Is he an Irish maker? Or? Yeah, he's an Irish maker. So he, um, there's a, a famous uh, ad advertisement, uh, advert for um, Mullingar, I believe. Uh, and then he was in Dublin. So he was, I think, originally... Um, uh, well, I was going to say Galway, so I think he was originally near Galway, 
uh, and maybe Mullingar is not what I'm, maybe I'm thinking of a song. Anyway, and then he, uh, he ended up being in Dublin. So he was, he moved to Dublin and was making there. Um, so yeah, actual, an Irish maker, um, you know, yeah, Rob, Rob, oh, Robertson's a Scottish maker, right? Isn't he? Yeah, he was Scottish. Yeah. yeah, he was Scottish. Yeah, um, up in I think Edinburgh. Yeah, either Edinburgh or Glasgow. I can't remember. Uh, I should know, but I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and then Egan, Egan was in London. That's what they think anyway that he was in London. Um, but I mean, the thing is that we know, especially now, we know that this type of set of pipes was made all over like Ireland, England, Scotland. Like it was made everywhere. Like a lot of different people tried making and and like and also it's it's from a period when the style or the, the the shape of the pipes had not yet been finalized so you know there's there's some argument whether um you know they these types of sets of pipes were actually pastoral with you know a foot joint on the channer um i do the original channer that i have that you know joe messed around with he thinks it should have had a, a, a foot joint at some point um it's been messed with so the the bottom, the, the where the foot joint would be has been cut, and so it's overly short. So it'll need to have some wood grafted onto it. Um, the throat's been messed with. Um, so yeah, it's very possible. I, I think that uh, there's some opinion that even Ronan Brown's James Kanaw Channer might have had a foot joint at one point. I don't know if that's true. Um, I, I, I we just don't know. Like yeah. we just don't know. They they weren't formalized. You know the yeah. regulator. Uh, foot joint or, or not like we just don't know what was actually happening um yeah so i don't know yeah. <laughs> it could be anywhere <laughs> well that was the other question i had so your your album uh is tight it, like the subtitle talks about it being irish or union pipes which i think is that's how o'farrell puts it right is for the union right, or irish pipes yeah i lifted uh, that from o'farrell <laughs> yeah but my, my understanding of, i'm not sure if this is in the introduction or, or what that union pipes kind of took off as a way to like comment on the uh, Union of Ireland and the UK kind of 1800, 1801. Um, right. And then, cause I have a, I have a tutorial, like a, a teach yourself bagpipes thing from the seventies, I think that still says union pipes on it. Oh um, wow, yeah. So like, yeah. so then I always was led to believe or had the story in my head where after the Irish were like, Oh, this union is terrible. No, no, no. They're illin pipes. They've been illin pipes right. the whole time. Never, nobody ever called them union pipes. It's always been illin, but yeah, sure, just yeah. wondering if you have any more story about the name. Or... Well, yeah, um, there's there's definitive research on that, yeah. and uh, it's Nicholas Carolyn, who you know used to be the director of the ITMA in, in uh, Ireland, the Irish Traditional Music Archive. Um, so he is. Uh, there's a paper that he wrote um, on you know where the terminology came from, and I don't have it open, or I read you the title. Um, and he also gave a talk for N for NPU for their you know Piper series their talk series um, Piper's TV whatever um, series and so he updated the research from the articles the article is a little bit out of date the video which is still available uh, on NPU's website I believe you can find it and watch it that's a little bit more definitive so basically what it comes down to is that there was a Piper named Dennis Courtney or Courtney uh, or possibly some other name altogether that was similar to that that was actually Irish and you know he anglicized it to make it popular for the but he was at the same time as O'Farrell he also played for Oscar Mulvina that yeah. uh, was actually he was before O'Farrell playing for that but he was he basically made Irish pipes famous and he invented the name Union Pipes sure. so it's before before the act of the Union so nothing oh, okay. to do with uh, Ireland and England it was actually in late 18 or 1790s sometime okay. in the 1790s 
Nicholas Carroll's got all the dates when he when he showed up. But yeah, he basically showed up in in England with like this marketing material. Sure. He's just like, I am playing the Union Pipes, the Grand Union. Or I don't know if he said Grand, but I'm playing the Union Pipes like never before done. I'm the best piper there is, and like you should come listen to me. And and to be fair, like he was apparently really really good. Like yeah. people liked him a lot. He, he was one of the first pipers. I, I think he was the first time bagpipes were played on stage at uh, Covent, Convent, Covent Garden. Yeah, Covent Garden um, Theater, yeah. Yeah, I think that was like, like, basically he was a first for a lot of things. So really kind of a big deal. But yeah, he invented the name Union Pipes as a marketing thing. Before that, they were just Irish bagpipes. Right. Like, there wasn't a name for them. Even the idea of pastoral pipes, that, um, like, there's the Galgan Tudor, um, the new or pastoral bagpipes. Yeah. Uh, that's like, I think that's the only mention of them. I don't think that like Nicholas Carolyn talks a bit, a little bit about that too. Um, I don't think there's really a lot of mention of, of what those were called. Like, and like, and what, uh, what Courtney was playing, um, at least from the engravings available, didn't have a regulator. Right. So were they actually what I'm playing or were they something else entirely, something similar? So yeah, it's, um, it's all up in the air. Yeah, the the um, he also goes a lot into the details of when Ellen piping uh, or Ellen pipes became the name. Um, apparently, there is some evidence that it was a term used in some writing at the time, oh, cool. but it was never widespread as a name. So um, uh, Grattan Flood is the historian who basically said, "Yeah, that's the original name. That's what everyone used to call them before the whole union thing happened. So we should just call them that." Um, but he made that up. He, okay. he found he found this reference, like he found the same reference basically, and basically went from there to make up the story that they were. That's what they were always called, um, which is fine. Like I, you know, it makes sense. You know, you want to have an Irish term when you're yeah. the, the Gaelic revival was happening. They should have a good Gaelic term for the instrument. That makes sense. But um, in the states. They didn't have that issue. They weren't speaking Irish in the States to the same extent. So the Gaelic revival wasn't as big of a deal in the States. And so up until the 70s, all American pipers called them Union Pipes still. Huh. And that's why that's why you have that tutor where they're still called sure. that. Because that's just what it was. They were they were Union Pipes. Yeah. Um, even, I think, in Australia, there's 1915, I found a competition advertisement for Irish or Union Pipes. Oh, wow. And also the Great Highland Pipes, the big pipes. So they had... Had two competitions going on in Sydney. Um, yeah, anyway, so yeah, so very, uh, very weird uh, reason why it became Ellen Pipes, but it's the name, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, yeah, I like, I was just, that's good. Yeah, I, I feel, I always have these like guilty things of, man, I used to tell people this story in elaborate detail uh, that was completely made up, uh, but it sounds like I wasn't too off the market. So sorry. Right, and never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Oh, yeah, that, that hurts. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's I mean that's that's the way it is with with the the Irish tradition, you know, not not just like um, not just with the music, but like you know, Seamus Ennis was a great storyteller and he had great stories, and they're 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 made up, like they're not real, like the but that's fine, like it doesn't matter, it's a good story, it's fun, yeah. you know, that's really at the end of the day, I think that's the kind of thing that um, most people in that tradition will just, you know, the story is a story and it doesn't really matter if it's not completely accurate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you were, um, 
you're, you mentioned that you recorded this like in July and then sent it around a bit. Um, I'm just curious, like the it's just a digital album, right? Or is it a yeah? It's just digital. Um, I will at some point order CDs. Um, so I'm I'm actually kind of waiting for final art to be finished, uh, which it'll be. It's done. It's just internet issues, so I don't have it yet. Um, sure. But uh, not my internet this time. So <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so I should have it soon. And then you know I'll I'll have album art available for the digital download and then i'm going to use that for the the physical cd at some point so at some point yeah i will order them but but at the moment yeah i, I just doing a digital release so is there a, is there a booklet with a digital copy with like footnotes or yeah, like, that's, links that's, and stuff? yeah that's the idea yeah I, I tried to have a balance between obviously i'm very nerdy and verbose i end up talking too much and so i had tried to have a balance between like too much detail in the liner notes and also giving some background so um i generally speak and just say this is the collection it came from here's the page number you know that's kind of it and then like maybe a little bit more information about why i like the tune kind of thing but like yeah. try not to go into too much nerdy detail yeah. like i didn't list every single other version of uh <laughs> of the Daniel the Sun the oh, the first track on the album that's there's four true. versions in O'Farrell's um oh wow i actually <laughs> I actually found the fourth version after I had already announced the release. So I had to edit the liner notes, which is really funny. Um, so there's, yeah, four versions and there's like, like, I don't know, not a hundred, but there's dozens of names for it. So if, yeah. if you like look online, um, the leg of the duck is, a, is related to it. Um, that's, that's, I think fairly commonly played or, uh, I think the 10 penny bits, another name for it, that it's, fairly commonly played these days with both major versions, whereas Daniel the Sun's a minor version. So so I didn't go into that level of nerdiness. Like I, I felt like I could have gone a lot longer, but at least you'll see where they came from and you know, yeah. hopefully that'll be good enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So why I, I guess that was a the question I actually like I'm the why the delay, I guess. Like it's funny, like during quarantine I find myself desperate for something that I know is going to happen in the future. So there's part right. of it's like I want to listen to your album now, which when right. this episode is released people will be able to, but but I'm also like, oh it's really cool to have to look forward to something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess that's an, at the end of the day that's what it is, is um if I just release it, then like people might see it and they'll be like, Oh, that's cool. Whereas if I say I'm going to release it in a month, then people will be like, Hey this thing's going to get released in a month and they'll make, yeah. they might talk about it. It's just marketing. I mean, it's, it's just, it's like, it's typical though. You know, most people like, you know, things are, are done and then there's a release date and that that's when it gets released. And, and it gives me a little bit of time too. Cause like I said, I, I did find a tune I missed. So I was able to edit things. Yeah. So, you know, there's a little bit of, of leeway there where if I needed to make some drastic change, I could, you know, if suddenly I was like, Oh crap, I can't include that that track at all it's that's garbage you know like i could change things but um it's it's pretty much finalized so i don't think that's gonna happen so yeah it's just it's just a chance for people to talk about it and hopefully share it and and people hear about it and so uh hopefully people like it then <laughs> yeah i mean like i said i you, you shared you're kind enough to share uh, the three oscar and malvina pieces with me and i i just love it i'm yeah it's super i'm super pumped to to hear the rest of it <laughs> yeah um, one, one thing i, I really noticed like I'm really I'm like self-taught like O'Farrell basically taught me how to play Ilan Pipes like I I had Heather Clark's book and I got about two-thirds of the way through that and then I was like well that's good enough uh mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I got O'Farrell's book that I was like got obsessed with it and like I want to learn how to play oh, yeah. this music um, right so I so yeah so I, I don't have like any training but your vibrato your approach to 
like shaking your 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 notes it's just it's such a more musical approach than I'm used to uh and so I'm just wondering like is that your innovation or is that somebody else that I should be looking at too? <laughs> um well first of all thank you I appreciate the the nice uh comments about it um so uh I don't I was thinking about that as well because that's another question that you sent me before and so I was kind of thinking about where I got it from um it is definitely me so it's definitely me, but I also would say that it's not completely independent. So um, uh, I learned from a guy named Norm Stiff. Uh, he was a student of Chris Langan's. I think he's probably the first person to show me a vibrato on the pipes um, and kind of gave me some advice. Um, I had a few lessons with Debbie Quigley, another student of Chris Langan's. Uh, I took a workshop, at least I think a couple workshops from Patrick Hutchinson, another student of Chris Langan's. Um, and they, I'm sure they all talked about vibrato. Uh, and they all gave me different um, ideas. Um, I think I got a uh, a recording of a lesson of Jimmy Brian Moore, and he he also gave me like I had a couple lessons from him. Um, and I think he also talked about vibrato, and he had some very specific advice about it. Uh, like you know, basically it wasn't just wag your finger as much as you want, but like really be careful. Um, you know how many times you wag yeah. your finger. So like the number of wags to get the right vibrato you want. Uh, it's funny though. It's funny that you said that about the vibrato because earlier this summer, um, I you know I don't know if you're joined or part of that Ronan Brown Irish Music Club no. Facebook page. There's a Facebook page. You you should totally join it. Yeah. Ronan Brown's Irish Music Club, and they have like a weekly Zoom call as well, which I've also yeah. never made it on because I just don't do Zoom calls on the weekend usually. Um, and uh, yeah, he posted in the Facebook group. I saw him he said something about how he's actively trying to strip all the vibrato out of his plane because he finds that people do too much vibrato. And I had like a crisis. I had like an emotional crisis. It was like, Oh no, am I doing too much vibrato? Like, is this, is this wrong? And, and there's some truth to that. I mean, uh, there's a great quote about classical violin playing. So for 300 years, violinists tried to play in tune and then they developed vibrato. So, I mean, there's some truth to, like, vibrato can cover up bad technique and it can cover up bad tuning uh, because, you know, having the vibrato, you know, you don't have to be exactly in tune. You can be a little bit off and it's fine. So there is some truth to, like, I, I actually completely get where Ronan Brown is coming from. Like, being very deliberate about what vibrato you do is really important. Um, I definitely feel like I have thought a lot about the vibrato I do and I try to be really deliberate. And it's definitely still a habit. Like it's definitely still not something that I'm consciously putting in every time I play. Like it's definitely something that just kind of happens. So um, I just think that's the way it is with most technique. Spend a lot of time thinking about it. Put like be really careful how you practice it. Be really conscious of what you're doing. And at the end of the day, you got It's got to be part of just who you are as a player, right? And then it. I think for me, that's where it's at. Although I, I do worry that I put too much in. So I, yeah, I, I love the. I mean, yeah, intentionality is something I struggle with in just about everything I do, where, like, I just, like, I'm just going to do this and, like, not really have a reason. Yeah. But, yeah, I love the, just the way that it, it has a crescendo, you know, like, it builds and it feels, it feels just so musical the way that you do it. And I've, I've tried to copy it and I'm like, nope, that's going to take a lot of work (laughs) to figure that out. And, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, okay, great. I'm glad you're trying to like definitely copy it. Feel free. I mean, absolutely. If you want to copy it, copy it. But I mean, I, I guess like the way the way that I would say to practice it is to just like 
practice it a little bit in isolation. So, you know, the note that you're going to put it on, just practice doing that and then take the phrase you want to put it on and like practice it with that phrase. And so that it, you know, so that at some point it, it will become habit, it will become yeah. like muscle memory and it's not something you have to consciously think about. So that's, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I, I feel like wagging your fingers, like it's not that much work. Like you can just, Swag your finger yeah. and boom, you got vibrato. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, so, like I said, a lot of this is the like never having had a lesson, uh, or like very recently starting to like I've had a lesson with Tim Britton and have only just this year really started talking with other pipers about how this thing works and like what to sure. do. But yeah, my brain on on vibrato during Blackie O'Connell's uh, Sunday Piper thing, he was talking about uh, Dave Spillane's approach where he like changes the pressure on the bag for the note that he's holding too. And I was oh, like, I, okay, I guess I'll figure that out as well as like. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just, that's funny. I that's it's you know it's funny like like I, I mentioned I I do teach a few students um, and. Uh, Teaching and also talking to other pipers really makes you think about what you're doing and the, what you just said. I do that. Yeah. I, I add pressure to the bag and I it's I just realized it's not something I would have thought about, but I, I definitely do that. Like I, I know that I'm adding like adding and changing pressure on the notes and everything. But yeah, that's that's not something I ever would have thought of consciously before you mentioned yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it's definitely you know, it's it's a yeah, it's a carnival of an. It's, Joey finished his uh, Piper Sunday thing by saying a little bit more carnival tunes for you, and it's like, yeah, there there really is that. You can do just absolutely everything with this instrument uh, that you could possibly imagine. Um, yeah, yeah, it's true. It's it's a very versatile instrument, as well as being very not. I mean, like <laughs> right? I, I yeah I I love it. I love the restrictions. I love that there's like so little that you can do. But within that range of the little that you can do, there's a lot of things you can do to that, which is it's super fun. I am um, my uh, my go-to analogy is that it's like haiku, you know, it's you know five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables. It's extremely limiting, but you can. There's some absolutely gorgeous poems, like absolutely gorgeous haikus that you know, are out there. So I think it's the same thing. It's extremely limiting, especially like this antique set I have has one regulator with four yeah. notes on it. Uh, it's got four drones, yeah. but but I mean, like, four drones, like, how many different combinations of drones is that? You can play each one of them by themselves, you can put two of them together, you can put three of them together, you can put all four together. So you've got, like, a tons of, of variation, even though it's kind of all the same thing. It's just a D note but <laughs> and an A note, but did, yeah. Did, uh, did it have a stop key or no. corks? Okay. Are, are yeah, there corks no associated key. with it or no? Yeah, there are um, there yeah little pegs for the end that Joe made uh, the original whatever original ones are long gone. Um, but uh, it would have it definitely would have had plugs for the end at some point because you can tell from the turning. There's there's a turning point on a lot of these old sets. There's a turning point where it's clearly meant for a thread to be tied between these these two little turning things. So that's that's where I tied the thread. Actually, where Joe tied the thread before he gave me the set. So. Uh, huh. <laughs> That's, yeah, yeah. The, speaking of limits, <laughs> like not yeah. having that stop key, like yeah, they're yeah, they're either on or they're off. They're on from the beginning or they're off completely. You can plug them all up and just play the channer, or you can play one, or you know. But it's they're just there. You know, you can't yeah. you can't start them partway through. You can't turn them off partway through. I know, like I know a lot of pipers like doing that, where you, you know, you're playing the first time through and then you flick the switch and, and right. 
boom, the drones turn on. That's super fun. Um, I've always, I've always had the approach that I just prefer the drones to be on all the time anyway. So I, that's fine. It was never a big deal for me that I didn't have the, the stop key. <laughs> well, um, so I've got two more, two more things and I feel like sure. I should take, take up less of your time, but you keep mentioning, uh, that what you've done during quarantine is, is video games work. And then this, this bagpipe. Yeah. So like my re my interaction with bagpipes and video games, like I have this distinct memory of the opening of Assassin's Creed three, where you're like crawling around Covent Garden Theater, and I'm like, oh okay. man, I'm in Covent Garden Theater. Like, I'm gonna go look for O'Farrell. He's got to be here. I'm sure. Oh man. Um, so yeah, do you have any bagpipe uh, video game uh, experiences? I do not. That's it's funny. I actually have never played Assassin's Creed Three. Um, I believe we own it, so I should probably play it. I, a while ago, I bought the, they remastered. Uh, yeah two and three i think and i think i bought them together and i played two and then i didn't play anymore I, i've played a, a few of the other ones too but yeah so i'll have to check that out that actually be really cool yeah. and that's one of the things they're really known for is how accurate those video games are Look, yeah. in terms of the architecture yeah just in architecture. terms of the architecture yeah yeah, yeah that like, was yeah. That's what weirded me out about <laughs> Assassin's Creed 3. I realized I had all these opinions about like the Italian Renaissance uh, that were completely based on Assassin's Creed games. And then the American <laughs> Revolution one, you're like, oh, I should forget everything uh, that I right. thought I knew about uh, Italian history. Um, there's some really good like big moments in Assassin's Creed 3 that are smart <laughs> and, a, and a good like social commentary on the revolution uh, sure. and, and indigenous history. But there's also like... Oh, the Boston Tea Party was a massacre. Like, just so many redcoats died at the Boston Tea Party. I had no idea. Right, <laughs> but, right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so what video games are you playing now, I guess? Um, well, the the two that I was playing over a quarantine uh, that were really, really good is The Last of Us and The Last of Us 2. So really mind-blowingly good video games. And so now I'm playing, um, just played a couple, like, kind of throwaway ones just for fun. So yeah. nothing, nothing that's worth talking about. But yeah, those ones were great. Yeah, but no, nothing. Um, I mean, yeah, there's, I don't recognize piping in video games most of the time. Like, I don't think about it. There was one that I played recently um, that had bagpipes in it, that had Irish pipes in it. Yeah. Um, but I don't remember what, what it was. I think it was the Outer Worlds. I think if you've heard of oh, that. Oh yeah, one. yeah. I think they yeah. probably did, like in the yeah. soundtrack kind of thing. Yeah, the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah just in the soundtrack. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But no, just uh, yeah. Generally speaking, I I play video games to like not think about other things. So <laughs> yeah. when, when I'm sick of piping or, or being nerdy or working or whatever, I'll go play video games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was. I, I got really one of my like first time playthroughs uh, that was like, oh, this is can take my mind off of the pandemic was. Uh, Witcher three, and oh, there's yeah. they have they have a constant bit of like the ambient music is somebody playing the first part to Foggy Do, but not finishing it. It's like right. oh, yeah, <laughs> this just killed me. Yeah, um, that was that was a good one. So it's funny. I only got into video games relatively recently. Um, so my my wife convinced me to buy a PS4 a few years ago, uh, and the first game I played was Fallout Four. And yeah. the second game was The Witcher 3. Yeah. So, yeah, and, like, those are introductions to, like, good <laughs> video game, And yeah. then you're kind of hooked after that. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, so the last thing was just kind of we haven't actually said the title of your album or where people can oh, yeah. get it and that kind of that's, thing. That's kind of an important thing. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so the title is Good Enough Music for Them Who Love It, uh, and it's a quote from uh, 1683, 
uh, from a guy named Sir James Turner. He was a military dude, uh, Scottish military general, I think, something like that, um, who wrote basically this treatise on military, on the military in Scotland, and like talk about you know like what it means to have a military. And, like I don't know all the details because I haven't read the whole thing. But there's this great quote from him where he's talking about bagpipes in military. So you know Scottish, he's Scottish, Scottish bagpipes in the regiment. And he is not a fan. He does not <laughs> sure. like bagpipes. And his quote is great. It's it, it's uh, bagpipes are good enough music for them who love it. But sure, it's not as good as the Almain whistle, which is a uh, fife. It's actually fife um, or a term for the fife. Um, so he was basically saying that fife and drum is better for military than bagpipes. Bagpipes don't work very well. And, and he goes on. It's, it's great. He's like, yeah, yeah. Like, I'll paraphrase. Yeah, you can, you know, if people want to have a piper in their company, fine. They can do that. They can maintain him because he's not getting any pay, which is what he deserves. <laughs> so we're not paying for it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. So I, I love that. Yeah. Good enough music for them who love it. Um, I feel like it's it's niche music for already niche music. Like it's it's Irish music, which is already fairly niche in the grand scheme of yeah. things. And it's solo bagpiping music, which is niche in terms of Irish social music. And it's this historic music that's like not super traditional. I know it's not filled with jigs and reels. It's got some other weird stuff in it. So it's like super niche music, really nerdy music, which hopefully people like it. I think yeah. people who like it will like it. And I think yeah. people who don't will say, yeah, it's good enough. <laughs> people will like it. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's going to be available on Friday, October 2nd, which I guess will be before this podcast is out. Uh, and uh, it's available through Bandcamp. So I'm just releasing it through Bandcamp currently. Uh, and like I said, eventually I'll probably have physical CDs and then I'll probably sell those just through Bandcamp as well. So it's like a pretty good deal. Yeah. Cool. So. <laughs> well, that's great, man. I'm looking forward to hearing it. And uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for having the chat. Of course. Yeah. Thanks very much for having me on this. Um, I'm looking forward to the podcast. And uh, yeah. Hopefully we don't spend too much time talking about video games. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I think it's all right. Yeah. I, could, I could be nerdy about that too, which is bad. <laughs> it's it's yeah. a good medium to like hope good things come out of it. Uh, right. That, that they get better. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the talk. And uh, yeah. yeah, good luck with everything. Yeah, yeah cheers. <laughs>
such a lovely chat. Uh, thanks again, Nicholas, for sharing the tunes and putting out such a cool album. I'll have a link in the show description. Uh, if you are too impatient to follow links, you can just search on Bandcamp for good enough music for them who love it. Uh, in the background, we're listening to Oscar and Malvina, the Overture, also played by Nicholas, of course. And in the show description, not only will I have a link to the Bandcamp, but you can also go to the archival sources where those tunes are from. So uh, O'Farrell's setting for the overture, as well as the additional overture setting that Nicholas kind of drew my attention to, and then Aired's setting for the battle, which we listened to at the beginning of the podcast. So if you have other projects that are bagpipe and history related that you want to have a chat with me about on the podcast, uh, get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. It's just way too twog at gmail.com. I'm sure you can figure out the spelling by looking at your phone. Uh, it's not too uh, it's not too different. Uh, it'll also be in the show description. Anyway, cheers everybody. Thanks for listening. Come on back next week. We'll be playing a bunch of different settings for Hey Johnny, Cock Up by Beaver, I think is what we're gonna get to. Uh, but that's next week. This week it's time for more Oscar and Malvina. 